Happy to be here as well. Welcome to Between the Covers, the show for readers and writers and lovers of books. I'm Stephanie and I'm a publisher at Red Penguin Books, where we publish books of all types and genres. So whether you have a book in your head, a manuscript ready to go, or even 200 sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer. And yes, at least once a month, I get an envelope filled with loose leaf. It still happens. Uh, just visit us at redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. I am so excited to be joined today by two authors, first time authors, which is very exciting, who have certainly unleashed themselves. Robert Lowen is the author of The Lioness of Leiden. And Nicolette Elsie is the author of Seasons, of Seasons to Bloom. So let's meet our first author. Bob Lowen, the author of The Lioness of Leiden, and our author writes, when the Germans invade the Netherlands, Leiden University student Hetty's boyfriend goes missing, but she has little time to grieve when she volunteers as a courier for the Dutch resistance, joined by her roommate, the beautiful Mimi, and 17-year-old Maria, the daughter of a slain resistance fighter. At great personal risk, the three women carry documents, secret messages, and cash to protect Jews, downed pilots, and others hiding from the Nazis. During five years of war, Hetty is challenged by a gauntlet of spies and betrayal. She heroically fights back as she and her friends accept increasingly dangerous assignments. All the while, Hetty worries about her family. She tries to forbid her younger brother from volunteering for combat in the resistance and argues with her father about becoming too cozy with the Nazis. As the Gestapo closes in, can Hetty and her family and friends make it through the war free to live and love again? Inspired by true events, Robert Lowen's debut novel plays tribute to the heroism of his mother-in-law, who served as a courier in the Dutch resistance during World War II. I am super excited and very proud to introduce our first author today, author Robert Lowen. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh, so excited and, and wow. Uh, everybody makes mother-in-law jokes, but you sound like your mother-in-law not only is not a laughing matter, but she inspired a book. My, my first editor took the, the task uh, specifically because she said it was so unusual. She said, I just think it's so sweet that some man wants to write about his mother-in-law. So uh, that was uh, I get, that was my first, first time I even knew that it was unusual. I think that that's fabulous. Uh, so bring us back, before we talk about the story, um, to your mother-in-law. When did you meet and when did you think about writing this story? What inspired this? I understand okay. her world, but what inspired you to write it? So it's all it all, of course, turns on my wife, Jacinta, for whom I really wrote this book. Uh, and uh, Jacinta and I met in college in 1967, and I met her mother in December of that year. Uh, and she's really quite a, uh, an unusual character uh, and uh, loved her right away. I think we loved each other right away. And uh, uh, I... Uh, 
didn't know that she'd been in the Dutch resistance until I came back from Vietnam in 1972. Uh, and uh, uh, Hetty was determined to have a huge party for me as a welcome home thing. And in those days, you have to put yourself into the, the genre. Nobody was celebrating uh, veterans of Vietnam. <laughs> and nobody was saying thank you for your service, as they do today uh, to returnees. Uh, and I was all set to just, you know, put that behind me. Uh, I wanted to get married uh, and I wanted to start law school, which I've been accepted to while I was in Vietnam. And um, uh, so I took Hetty aside as we were getting ready for the party. And I said, said, why are you making such a big deal about this? And she kind of teared up and she said, uh, where I come from, the boys didn't come home. And I went, oh, that was like a really um, uh, special moment. And uh, that's when she told me that she'd been in the Dutch resistance. And I thought, okay, this is going to be great, because that was also right at the time when I was proposed to her daughter. And uh, we just celebrated our 50th year, uh, 50th anniversary last August. And uh, I, um, uh, so I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, I'm always, every time I get together ahead of she's going to tell me another war story, man. I can't wait for this, you know. And she didn't speak of it again uh, for at least a decade uh, because she was she was really a mess from the war. She suffered from survivor syndrome. She suffered from PTSD. Uh, they didn't call it that in those days. But uh, uh, and she was seen a psychiatrist, which the Dutch government was paying for. Uh, and she um, uh, she you know she just didn't want to talk about it. And then we had this this breakthrough, uh, I thought, in the 1980s. Hetty was a big traveler. She didn't have very much money, but she saved every penny to travel to far off places where she could experience nature. She was a huge environmentalist and uh, before before that was popular. And uh, uh, she she came back from Liberia, uh, where she'd spent a couple of months and just wandering around by herself through the jungles and stuff. And she. Um, uh, she brought a bird's nest with her. Uh, it was uh, constructed out of twigs and straw, and and uh, it was in the shape of a boot. And you can imagine the bird. It was an abandoned nest, obviously. And and she, uh, you can imagine the birds though going down to the bottom of the boot and having their their you know, hatching their eggs there and so on. And uh, she was extremely proud of it. You know, it was one of these things she'd get. She was just like, "Wow, look what I got! This souvenir." You know. And, you know, I was a practicing lawyer at the time I'm for pretty much my whole adult life. And and I so I just teased her. We were drinking. And, you know, I said, I said, well, is this even legal? And uh, and I said, what they say at customs? And she just threw her head back like that was the most naive question she'd ever heard. And she says, oh, Bob, she says, I didn't tell them about it. They're like children compared to the Nazis. And went, oh, better pour some more wine here, you know. And uh, we poured some more wine. We were sitting around just the three of us having some dinner. And uh, uh, and she told us this hair-raising story. But she, as in typical fashion, she told it with a great degree of humor. How she was at the toward the end of the war, in 1944, uh, she was approached by her uh, resistance boss and said, "Look, you know, we don't, you don't, we don't, you don't, we don't deserve to have you do this." But really, there's nobody else. And uh, I've now studied that era and know that the the resistance was down to a nub. There really were um, 
much of it was uh, much of the resistance was destroyed or gone into hiding because of Operation Market Garden when they all came out to help the uh, the Allies. Market Garden was a, a thrust by the by the Allies to try to move into Holland and it failed. And um, she um, she said told us this story about well. Uh, she said, well, we have to, oh, well, what do I have to do? Well, I have to take this suitcase full of hand grenades out of the Hague and get it out to the suburbs and hand it to a contact out there, and then they'll, they'll do the rest. And uh, presumably for the combat resistance to blow up some Nazis with them. And uh, she um, uh, and, and she said she'd do it. And and then she gets on the tram. The, the Hague was famous for its tram system. And she gets on the tram, and at the next stop, uh, she put it, one of my former lovers got on board. <laughs> and and he seemed very interested in, in getting back together with me. And uh, uh, she um, uh, and, and then she told this story about going out to uh, the, the end of the line, which I determined was Delft. And, uh, and when they arrived, uh, the Germans were checking luggage. And uh, the uh, uh, and she thought, well, that's all she wrote. And the boyfriend decides to play Sir Galahad and picks up her luggage and says, I'll carry it for you. She said, well, no, you won't. And then he gets kind of in a tiff about that. So she takes him aside and puts her arms around him, puts her mouth right next to his ear and says, it's full of hand grenades. And he goes limp. And she grabs the suitcase and runs off to go get in line to have her luggage checked. And uh, it, it, to me, it's such a great story about Hetty because, because you, uh, some people might have just let him go ahead and go to his death, not knowing that he was carrying a bunch of hand grenade, but she'd taken the job on and she was gonna see it through to the end. And, and the odds were extremely high that she was gonna be killed. And uh, and and so she, she sashays up to the German soldier who with a machine gun around his neck and says uh, says well you know Herr corporal she spoke perfect for, uh, german uh, she spoke six languages actually by the time she died and uh, she was something else but she um she starts flirting with a guy and uh and and he uh and he's flirting back with her and all that stuff so they're ha 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 having a nice little time a little joke and everything and then um he says, so finally he looks over at the suitcase, says, so what's in the suitcase? And she goes, ha, it's full of hand grenades. And, and he, he goes, oh, well, don't blow yourself up then and lets her go through. And uh, the, she goes around the building and there's the ex-boyfriend completely soaked with sweat. He said, I thought the next thing I was going to hear was machine gun fire and that you were done for. I thought you were dead. So that was such a chilling story and yet told with all this humor about well i'm here i am on this this train and the guy's trying to make whoopee with me and i'm you know thinking i got i got a suitcase full of hand grenades here you know what am i going to do and for me that was like the it was the first time she'd really come out of her shell and was really willing to talk about it and uh and i started to have hope that i would get some stories from her and i did i got some stories uh and uh and then she uh, died in 1994. She got cancer, and uh, uh, she uh, and, and I never got a chance to sit her down and uh, and film her and talk to her about the resistance. Although I don't think it would have worked. I mean, anytime anytime she would talk about the resistance, she would break down. She just she would just freak out. She couldn't do it. And uh, 
it, and then about two weeks after she died, a friend of hers came to the door and handed us a uh, an essay she'd written about her brother and his days in the in the resistance. And and she had not been able to leave that to tell us that during her lifetime. It was such a tragedy for her and such a such a profound emotional thing every time she relived or thought about it that she um she left it and that actually uh at the end of the day opened the door for us because he said okay if she's written this what else has she written and it turned out she'd written a lot of stories she wrote about the hunger winter which is a big event in the southern uh where it was a man-made um uh, you know uh, uh what do they call it a man-made um uh, 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 shortages and and nobody had any food and be, about twenty two thousand people died in the Hague and it was just a terrible time and she wrote this like a like it was funny she told this story about her dad and what a stupid guy she hated her dad and she told what a stupid guy and he tried to go out to the farm to get to get food from the farm country and stuff anyway uh, so I had that and I had other stories that she had written about and. Uh, uh, so from that, I pieced together the Lioness of Light. Wow, that's amazing. And I am so glad that you had that extra glass of wine and she started talking. You know, I, I, I can't even imagine the trauma of going through what she went through. And I could well understand why for decades she kept it hidden. But I'm very grateful for that glass of wine. Thank you. Me too. Pouring out, and and then for you to write it, what what did your wife think? Well, she loved it. She was a participant all the way. She helped with finding the writings, and she oh, she come in, look at this little tidbit here. You know, she said this. What do you think that means? You know, and and then we would talk about it, and and uh, uh, she loves the book. Uh, she really she thinks that I captured her mom. And of course, neither of us knew her mom when she was nineteen years old. Uh, but uh, we uh, we could imagine what she was like. She was a very strong-willed woman and uh, very super smart. And uh, and and so we, I tried to capture that. And she was also from a, a well-to-do family. Her her grandfather had been a governor of one of the the Dutch colonies, uh, a place that's now called Sulawesi in um, uh, in uh, the um, Indonesia. And uh, she um, uh, uh, was, uh, so she was brought up in a way that, you know, she had a pretty good life, you know, she was sent to one of the better universities, Leiden University, uh, which had been around since the 16th century. Uh, women had been admitted there since the late, 19, eight, uh, late eight, 19th century. And uh, she, um, uh, she kind of had it made and she had a boyfriend uh, who she wrote a little story about. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, the Germans invade her country. And, uh, you know, there's about uh, 8.5 million people in Holland and only 10 to 14,000 actually joined the act of resistance. Wow. Uh, most, most of the Dutch, you know, they, they, some participated here and there, but but in terms of actual working all the time against the Nazis, there were very few. And she was one of the few and she joined up and and man, she did a lot of stuff. And that's what we tried to, to show in the book. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, you've had your first taste of writing a novel. Was it harder or easier than you thought it would be? Harder. <laughs> I I was a uh, you know, I was a lawyer for 36 years and I wrote persuasive briefs and I was pretty good at that. I could, you know, I could write a brief and convince judges and so on, argue to juries, but I um uh, I didn't know that there's a whole nother set of techniques I had to learn yeah. about writing fiction. And I'd never really taken courses in it. So I went out to writer workshops and learned a lot about that. And I read books about writing memoirs and writing things like that. And, and then I, um, but finally, the big breakthrough for me was I found an amazing editor. She was actually my second editor. Her name is Julie Gray. She's in Tel Aviv. Anybody who, you know, wants to, write a novel, go to Julie Gray. She's amazing. You can find her on the internet. I just found her by luck through an, through an internet site where independent editors reside. I reviewed like a hundred resumes and read all those. Then I interviewed people on Zoom and uh, I found Julie. And Julie taught me amazing things about what I needed to do for uh for for dialogue you know how dialogue doesn't go in a straight line and how dialogue always comes in context of you know uh uh of events around you and you have to fill those events in and you have to show what the emotions are of the characters in the dialogue and but you have to show it don't tell it and you she has all that stuff and then she taught me the most important of all she said start late leave early and I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and 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 it it means don't fool around with what got you here. Start with the action, and uh, let the, the trust the reader to imagine what might have happened to get you to the action. And if you need to fill in some details for later in the book or something, you can do it all with flashbacks. And then and then she said, what's leave early mean? Leave early means never resolve the conflict that you create in a given scene or in a given chapter, never resolve it there. You have to resolve it later because you want the, you want them to keep turning the pages. And so I was really gratified when so many of the commentary that comes in now on my, the, the uh, reviews on Amazon and on Goodreads and so on, they all say it's a page turner. Ah. And that, that just made me really happy because oh. it, mean, it meant that, that I was a good student. I learned what Julia taught me. Oh, that's fantastic. I have never heard, and I've interviewed, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of authors, uh, that term start late and leave early. But but certainly the whole thought of starting in the action so that the person is engrossed immediately and flipping those pages. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things. And um, leave early. That was really interesting to make sure that you don't have scenes tied up with a bow because if every scene is tied up with a bow, there's no impetus to keep, like you said, turning those pages and you succeeded. It's it's all true. It's all true. And Julie, I think Julie learned it in uh, Hollywood. I think you know she did a lot of script reading, script editing, that sort of stuff uh, in her, her younger days and uh, before she immigrated to, to Israel. And That's she's... Well, I'll tell you, man, she she's very good at articulating. I felt like I had a master class in how to write fiction from her. That's so fortunate for you. And I'm and I'm so glad that you mentioned and a great thing for our listeners to hear. Um, a, 
the person who is the most convenient, who's right next door, might not be the editor for you. You know, really, really you talked about looking through hundreds of resumes or, you know, you really put it out there until you found the one that was resonating with you and it made all of the difference. And that is something I'm so glad you mentioned because people sometimes think, I tried this one person, it didn't work, never mind. No, and I actually, and I did try a different editor first, and it didn't really work. And uh, and she got sick, and so I was, you know, I I didn't. There was no breakup between us or something like that. But I, I when I moved on and I had Julie, I realized, oh, this is this is really what I need. And a lot of it was just luck. But she had written a book about the Holocaust and uh, about she she knew a survivor of the Holocaust and wrote about it. And uh, and so that was part. Of, she loved the genre, and I knew, knew right away that she was my she was my gal. That's fantastic. Well, now that you know all this stuff, now that you know how to you know arrive late and leave early, and all these other good things, is there going to be a second book? Well, I have a I have a sequel and I have a prequel in mind. Uh, the prequel is all the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor because I had to start late. And, and, <laughs> And so I took a lot of backstory and stuff. And, and so there's a whole, I think there's a whole book in the backstory. And yeah. then, and then um, uh, the book ends when Hetty meets Walter, who is actually the man that becomes her husband, becomes the father of my wife, Asinta. And I knew Walter really well. And uh, she and Walter uh, went to South America. So Walter was, was a Swiss guy and he spent the war in South America because that's where he was working when the war broke out. And of course they were neutral, so he didn't engage. And uh, uh, when he came back to look for a wife uh, in Europe, he found Hetty on a train and uh, she was really anxious to get out of Europe. Too many bad memories for her. And uh, she met Walter and they were engaged in two weeks and married in two weeks after that. And they and they honeymooned in Lake Lugano, and uh, it's a beautiful place if you haven't been there. And uh, uh, and because Hetty was this earthy woman who just told you what she was thinking, I learned that that's where my wife was conceived. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, they they traveled to South America, and then they made a farm, and the farm was big success. Uh, but they. Uh, then the government took the farm away in 1964, and about that time, Walter and Hetty were getting divorced. And so she and her two daughters, my wife and and uh, my sister-in-law, uh, came to America. And uh, she said uh, she said it was worth the trade. She says, "Yeah, they took my farm and didn't give me anything back for it, but I got a visa." And she said, "So I got to live. I got to live here." And she loved she loved living in America. Oh, that's amazing. So you said the. The prequel, shall we say, is all the stuff that got cut, the backstory before. Now, the sequel, is that after meeting him and then this whole South American yeah. journey and such? That's what I think. I think the, the sequel is life in South America. I'm not sure I want to bring it all the way to, to California. Right. Uh, maybe maybe that's the ending. I, I haven't really thought it through. But she has a lot of writing that she did about South America. And I've only glanced at it. I haven't sat down and, and really studied it. And so there's a lot of effort in that. And so I'm not sure, I'm an old guy. I don't know if I have it in me to write another book, but if that if I write a book, that's probably where it is. That's where it's gonna go. But But for right now, you are busy getting the word out on this one. And this is, I mean, what a story and what an incredible, 
um, responsibility and task you took on to be the voice. You know, you're writing this book is one of the, my favorite reasons why I'm in publishing is literally to immortalize people and their stories. And that's what you did here. You literally immortalized um, Petty and the story. And that's just what a gift for you to give to um, her, to your wife, and to the world. That's just incredible. So, so you're, it sounds like a rabbit. Let me just take, add one little tidbit to that. And that is during, uh, I'm making the tour of book clubs and stuff before with the advanced reader copy and stuff. And, and um, uh, one of the things I found that kind of surprised me is that everybody's got a family story that, that in many ways is worthy of a book. And uh, in some in some people, it comes from World War II. Some people further back than that. Some people, is a, the, their grand great-grandfather was an inventor who did something really special. You never know what the story is. But my, my uh, advice to all of them is get busy. Because if I can do it, anybody can do it. No, I love that. And you're so right. Every family has a story. Um, they might need a little more wine like you did in order to hear the story. Uh, but if people know that your family has a story, and, and Bob said so, so I know that every family has a story, um, go out and find it. Go out and find it. Talk to the people. You know, uh, I'm so sorry that your mother-in-law passed before the book became a reality. Uh, although I believe that she knows yeah. uh, personally, but you know, people, our time here is transient and we want to hear those stories. They're those world war II stories, those turn of the century stories, make sure you're asking the questions and pouring the wine if that's what you need, but get the story. <laughs> so you meet a lot of book clubs there, Bob. You, a lot of times you're called. Well, I've done about five book clubs, but I'm really anxious for more. And so here's a little ad to anybody who listens to this. If you know a book club, I'm willing to appear at it. If it's, if it's out of town or out of the state, then probably I'll want to do it on Zoom. But uh, maybe not. You know, if I feel like traveling somewhere, I don't mind getting on an airplane. But um, uh, I'm happy to do those. I've, I have found them incredibly rewarding. That it's, is been, awesome. it's been so much fun talking to people who've read my book. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is huge to have a, an author at a book club. Um, they can contact you or, or if they go to the lionessofleiden.com, they'll find your contact information there to meet you for uh, making arrangements for the book club. You can, you'll, you'll get, you'll be able to communicate directly with me by email via my, my website. Right? Fantastic. Fantastic. Because uh, what a story and to know that it's not, it's not just a story. It's true, you know, it's true life. Right. This is what happened. And I could see book clubs wanting you. As you were speaking, I was also thinking about you in um, classrooms, history. I mean, you actually know what happened there. Um, you know, my, my son is taking, he's a political science major. I could totally see in the history classes and learning about, it's one thing to learn about World War II on paper. It's another thing to hear about a person who was smuggling a whole suitcase full of hand grenades. You know, I'm, I'm giving a I'm giving a talk to a history group actually, and on, on May 13th, oh, it's a group they call themselves Los Compadres, and they've been around since the 60s. And they they every every month they talk about some aspect of history, 
And uh, so last last week I went to one where they were the founding. Uh, it was about the founding members of Los Angeles. And it was just fascinating stuff I never knew about before. So it was a challenge because these people love history and I didn't want to screw it up. So I, I've, I've, I've been going back and reminding myself of what I saw in my research so I could talk about it with and make sure I'm accurate. I am sure you're not screwing it up. That's for sure. So I certainly hope our book club lovers out there and our history lovers out there are getting down that address to connect with you. Uh, our next author is a very different kind of a book but also in dealing with a lot of issues that have gone on, just like Hetty had to. Um, Nicolette Elsie is the author of Seasons to Bloom. Seasons to Bloom is a collection of poems designed from a journey of anxiety, fear, grief, and seeking validation. Nicolette is a modern poet, creator, and an HR professional. In everything she does, she brings soft, creative expression, compassion, and thoughtfulness for the subtle beauties in life. Throughout her purposeful work of sharing ways to express, free, and heal herself, she hopes to inspire others to find themselves. Nicolette aims to create visionary designs and poems around mental health, spirituality, and expression in a society that has trained us to prioritize others, stay small, and not break the mold. I'm so excited to welcome poet and author, Nicolette Elsie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And it's wonderful to hear all about your book, Bob. I cannot wait to read it. Oh, thank you. Wasn't that an amazing story? Oh my gosh. Amazing edge of my seat and uh and here i started with a mother-in-law joke it couldn't have been further from the truth <laughs> that was fine i'm really looking forward to hearing about this book of poetry i really admire poets because i can't do it so it's really nice to hear about it. it's a very different craft right. but it's the same kind of it's still art it's still connecting oh. it's still connecting humans with humans and that's what you want to know about and 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 honestly that's that's nicolette's goal is connecting humans with humans and humans connecting with the first human themselves which yes. is which is such a mission there so Nicolette tell us how this book got started sure so my book uh, relates to my own story um, which definitely made it a little bit difficult to to write about and was something I was not sure I was going to actually share um, so in 2020 um, like many others, there was a lot going on in the world and presented me with a lot of my own um, feelings of grief, of being fearful, of um, being triggered by a lot of these events. And, you know, I had lost a couple people in my family relatively quickly in March of 2020. Um, and, you know, it paired with that, I had a lot of my unhealed own personal challenges going on that were brought to the surface and um, it was just a really difficult challenge and um, really not even recognizing who I was anymore and just trying to figure out who that was and process everything at the same time and trying to explain something that I didn't fully understand, to be quite honest. And the only thing that was helping me through through all of this was to to write poetry. And it wasn't even something I was um, actively thinking about, it was just coming out of me, um, where if I was not crying 
or, um, you know, expressing in another way, it, the only thing that would help was sitting there with a pen outside. Um, if I could go, I get leave the house or if I was in the house, you know, just, just writing and really feeling my feelings. Um, even though I probably didn't want to, and was so used to pushing them down, I just wrote, and these poems were very healing, very eye-opening. And as I started writing them and reading them back to myself, I started to just learn about myself, which sometimes I look back and I'm like, you had to write to, to learn about yourself. But I, I did because I think it was that subconscious um, person coming through that was talking to me that had been broken down by these experiences. And so for the next two years, I just, I really wrote, um, you know, if you ask many of my friends, I was not as present or active and I'm so grateful for them for, um, you know, still holding space for me in those times. But I think I needed that. I needed to kind of just write and process. And so it was, um, it was a beautiful journey. It was a, it was a challenge and it came, it came into something beautiful, even though it might not have started that way. Um, so really, really, um, interesting journey, I will say. Not one that I, I had planned and not one that I, I think I actively knew I was taking part in. Mm, interesting. I, I like the way and so appreciated that you said you were a little surprised that to find yourself, you had to write. But how many people out there have never found themselves? Because they've never allowed that space to take the time. The, uh, the, the lockdowns and such were certainly triggering in so many ways, but maybe they also allowed you a little bit of space and time. Absolutely did. And I think for myself, I was diagnosed in 2021 with obsessive compulsive disorder. And it was something I didn't know that I had until I was kind of in those moments. And it was so obvious um, to the point where even my family started to take notice. And when I went looked back and was talking to the you know, therapist or psychiatrist helping me, I could go back all the way to childhood and realize that I had a lot of these symptoms that we just didn't talk about or I wasn't aware of. And so being given that space was the most beautiful thing for me to recognize that this happens to me and also that um, you can you can get through it. You can you could seek help. You you know, there's no shame. I think that was something for a long time also prevented me from acknowledging it was the shame and, you know, does this happen to other people? What does it look like? I think the more I learn about OCD, um, a lot of times you can't see it or you you don't even know that it's not something others experience because no one talks about it. And that really fueled my passion to to share it because maybe somebody else might be going through that. And all I needed was to see that somebody else was going through that to know, okay, this is okay to to experience there is help. Um, and so that was really a big part of my my purpose for deciding to share something extremely personal. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and how frightening. I mean, talk about, it's always scary when one releases a book, even if you were writing about made up characters on a planet far, far away, it is still terrifying to release that book to the public. But even more so when it's, uh, you know, 200 pages of your heart poured out on pages about a very, very personal journey. How did that yes. feel when, when you realized, oh my gosh, it's on Amazon. People are literally reading my, my brain that frightening or empowering? 
A little of both. I think the initial was definitely fear. But, you know, when I had my family and friends reaching out, um, sharing their favorite poems or just thanking me for for talking about it and then sharing their own stories. Um, and, you know, when I look back, I was still working as an HR professional during this time and experiencing this myself. And for HR professionals during the pandemic, there was definitely a lot of learning going on and being able to support our own staff. So I was going through this myself and supporting staff. And I think that also seeing what others were going through and being there for them, it realizing what they needed and, and what I needed was so important for me to, to then do so. So in those moments, I was fearful. I just reminded myself of how important it is. And um, as long as I can help one other person, that was the goal, right? I really set it where it was manageable for me. I didn't want something that um, felt, especially for myself, needing to achieve something. I needed to say, I, my purpose is just to help one other per person like others have helped me. And throughout the book, you're going to see references to a lot of the people that did help me, whether that's in the illustrations that I worked with custom illustrators for in the placement or the fonts um, or the words. Or, you know, there might be a, a lyric that you might not recognize, but that reminds me of the person that was there for me um, in that moment. So it's going to be, um, you know, one off kind of of notes that you might kind of see a word or hear in there. Um, that pays homage to them and kind of showcases them on, on my journey too. It's amazing. And as frightening as it is to release this to the world, as it's frightening anytime we let people into what's really going on in our lives, it also opened a whole lot of doors, didn't it? With people it, having conversations. It did. And it really inspired my passion for coaching. Um, although I do regular kind of HR and I am a business partner, um, you know, there was the opportunity that arose for me to go for coaching, and I apologize for the lighting, um, to become trained as a Clifton Strengths coach. And what their um, coaching is all about is we all have unique strengths. And if we can learn to invest in them and capitalize in them, we could become the best we can be and then leverage that as, as a team or leverage that in our careers or leverage that in our personal lives. And so I have that aspect now that I am, am doing and it has allowed me to further help others in, in that and, and being able for them to, if they have read my book, to see a little bit about me and, and why I'm doing it, it just, it all comes together, right? So it's having a coach that um, went through something and is using that to, to support them and knowing that um, there's no judgment that um, I might not understand what you're going through, but I will listen and acknowledge and use everything that I've been through to to pay that forward. I I love that this this book started from a place that needed healing, and you were working on it and working on the book and transformation, and now you're at a place that you want to and are able to reach out to others. Kind of like they always say when you're on an airplane, um, don't, don't, you know, make sure you put on your oxygen mask first. Don't put it on someone else. You need to take care of you first. And, and that's what I'm hearing is that you did. You realized that you were in a place that needed healing. You worked on you. And now you're saying, I have this book. I now trained as a coach. I want to go out and spread that to other people and give them have them be seen, have them see themselves and be seen. Absolutely. And when, you know, Bob was speaking before and he talked about the stories of each person, I think that for me is, it 
we all have a story. We all have a purpose. And so how can I help others, you know, recognize that in any way that I can, that is so motivating for, for me, because if it wasn't for those people in my life, um, in, in many ways, including you, Stephanie, um, I wouldn't be able to share my, my story and I wouldn't be at the place that I am today. So I'm always trying to kind of pay that forward or find ways to, to help others experience that as well. I'm so glad you mentioned that with stories because, you know, with Bob, we're thinking like, oh, yes, I wonder, you know, what my grandmother went through years ago. But Nicolette, you, you brought it full circle. It's the stories from the past, but it's the stories of ourselves today. And, and they all need to be shared and appreciated. And, you know, not everyone is going to immortalize them in a book, although, um, they, they say 90% of the population wants to write a book, yet like less than half of a percent does. So you two are like the bucket list item completers. You actually you actually did the book. But I, I thank you for that about stories because you're so right. Um, tell me something. We wrote You wrote this one and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. It really is. Um, I would... Uh, certainly hope everyone is going to grab a copy because if you think the cover is beautiful, you should leaf through the pages. This is just an amazing looking book. But just like I asked Bob, is this your, this was your first book? Is it your last book? That is a good question. Um, I am not sure what's 100% next. I know you and I have talked about a journal to accompany it, accompany it with tools that have helped me along the way. So again, paying forward if I can help others. Um, but really just sitting with this moment and kind of listening and, and the same way the book kind of fell into my lap. Um, I think that sometimes the best ideas just they come to you when you're not always searching for them and just taking it moment by moment. But, you know, trying to work on that journal, um, trying to think of other tools that maybe had helped me or continue to help me that I can then pass forward or create um, to maybe help somebody else. I, I think that is a great, um, you know, so often in society, we think we have to go out and find the next thing. And you just kind of said, I'm just going to sit with this and the next right thing will find me. It, it's been a process. If you asked me a couple of years ago, if I would let things, you know, go and not take control, um, I, that's not, that was not me. But I think going through this process, it's helped me to learn that especially 2020, as much as you try to control, things are going to happen when they happen. And, you know, it was the biggest test for me to to learn to adapt and figure out how I can better support myself if anything else was to come uh, unexpectedly. So um, it's not easy. And I, I want to make sure that if anybody is like, that's never going to happen to me, it might not, but there are always ways to um, just keep continuing to grow, heal and learn. I think um, learning is so powerful, um, whether that's about others, you know, Bob mentioned his family and, and, and the history, but for me, you know, just learning about myself, it's really just learning in whatever capacity is going to help you move forward. Absolutely. Well, from both of you, since you did do what so many people wish they could do, um, any words of advice for future writers out there? Bob, I'm going to start with you. You managed, this is your debut novel and knocked it out of the park. What would you say to um, somebody else who wants to do this? Well, I, I don't really, yeah, I, I would say try it. 
you know, get going on it, but, but understand that it's going to take a lot longer than you think. Mm. Uh, I, I, I retired from the practice of law at the end of 2014. And the next month I started writing this novel. That's eight years ago. Uh, and, and there were big periods of time, which nothing was happening and stuff, but, but uh, it's a, it's a, a journey. That was the word that Nicolette used. And it's absolutely a journey. Um, I would like to say one thing that was because you can't help but you know emote from these things that she's talking about that Nicolette mentioned. By the way, Nicolette, I love the title of your book. I just think that's mm -hmm. amazing, and the whole cover—it's a great cover and all that stuff. And uh, that's you could have a whole interview just talking about covers and how you do the covers and where you get them and all that stuff. But um, uh, I found what surprised me was how much of your right brain you have to expose, how much of your subconscious you have to expose just writing a novel. Mm -hmm. See, I always thought of myself, I'm just a storyteller. I'm just going to tell these stories about Hetty. And what happens to you is that you create these characters and then you have them talking to each other. And pretty soon the characters take charge and they lead you down the journey of what is the plot's going to be. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's unnerving. Uh, when it first happened, the first time it happens and you realize, well, there's just me sitting here. So they have to be coming from somewhere in here that I'm not totally aware of. And um, I I think that, uh, you know, what, whether you're doing poetry, I have a daughter who's an opera singer who says that every time that she gets up on stage, uh, she feels like she's crying naked in front of the audience, because if you're doing it right, then your subconscious is is telling them how to feel how you feel and, and connecting that with the audience. And, and I just think that all art is that way. And um, it, but it's a, as Nicolette said, it's a, it's a very ultimately uplifting experience to let your subconscious run amok. Uh, and uh, I recommend it to anyone, even if you don't end up publishing, because it's a big publishing is a whole nother topic. Absolutely. But even if you don't end up publishing just the writing of it, mm -hmm. and maybe you just keep it and hand it around to your family members and let your friends read it and stuff. Uh, so rewarding. Such and, a wonderful thing to do. And Bob, eight years is not bad. Um, <laughs> on with the wind took 10 years. And oh. um, uh, the uh, Game of Thrones series is still not finished. So. <laughs> So some people take a lot longer than eight years. And um, if you ever do plan to uh, try this again, um, I have heard from, as I mentioned, I've interviewed uh, hundreds, if not thousands of authors. Um, book one, however long it took, it's like a quarter of the time for book two or what, you know, like it, it gets it gets better. So I just want to oh, mention that. Um, encouraging. Exactly. Nicolette, some words of perhaps uh, wisdom or advice for someone who is on this journey. Absolutely. I think piggybacking off of what Bob said, you know, try it. And I think also it, it doesn't all have to be in sequence. I know Bob mentioned that earlier, but just write what comes to you. It's the same thing with myself. When I write poetry, the final poems were not what they started like. Uh, it could have been portions of poems. It could be something that I completely changed last minute. Um, the more you just get in that practice of, of doing that for yourself and allowing it to unfold, it, it will start to come. You just have to start, I think. Starting that journey, the rest of it starts to, to unfold in what it's meant to be. Um, but I think that was the biggest, the biggest thing is to just get out there and say, 
going to try it. So I just wanted to add that it doesn't have to be linear. There's no right way to do it. Um, you're going to find your own way, what worked for myself, what worked for Bob and other people. It's always going to be different. And, and um, it's really important to, to stick to what is calling you and what is um, important to, to your purpose for, for writing. Fantastic. You two are such an inspiration. I want to make sure that all of our viewers know where they can find you. Grab a copy of your books and uh, enjoy. Uh, the Lioness of Leiden at thelionessofleiden.com, also available wherever books are sold. And uh, along with a fabulous read, please do contact Bob as far as being there for your book club whether it's a book club of readers or a history loving club, that's an unbelievable offer. So please visit thelionessofleiden.com. And also uh, you can find Nicolette on Instagram at nicolette.lc. And uh, I hear there's going to be a website and more things in the offering. So grab her at Instagram and it's gonna point you to a million other places. Um, both of these books are something you are definitely gonna want on your shelf. And both of these authors are someone I am so excited to be able to share with you. You're inspirational, both of you. And I thank you so much for joining us here between the covers.